seated. Do you have a story, a, a movie, an episode of television, a book that just stayed with you? Now, I'm not talking about the great works of literature here. I'm not talking about, you know, a, a book that starts off with something like it was the best of times, it's the worst of times, and almost everybody at least has been forced to read at some point, right? But do you have some stories, something like that, that you've got that's special to you, but when you talk to other people about it, they go, I don't remember that? Or, I kind of vaguely remember, but it's just a story. But to you, it's special. Well, I've got one of those this morning, and I'll talk about it as we go through in our scripture today. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, when we last saw Moses last week, he'd been weaned from his mother and been left with his adopted mother, one of Pharaoh's daughters. He seems to have grown up knowing something about his calling, knowing that God had protected him for some reason. And as a young man, when he saw one of his kindred being attacked, being abused by one of the Egyptian taskmasters, he ends up killing the man and hiding the body and thinking he got away with it. But the next day as he's walking around, he sees some of God's people arguing. And when the young man tells him, listen, you need to stop, he's asking him, who gave you this authority, Moses? Are you going to kill us like you did the taskmaster yesterday? And realizing his murder had been seen, he takes off one step ahead of Pharaoh's men. And he goes out to the wilderness, far away from Egypt, and goes to Midian. And the first thing he seems to do when he gets to Midian is run into some young ladies who are, have herds that are trying to water. And he protects them from bullies. And their father or their grandfather, who's a priest, decides that the young Egyptian man should marry one of his daughters. And then Moses, the baby we saw float down the Nile River, he becomes a shepherd for many years. And one day as he's herding his flocks, he goes by the Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, the mountain of God with the sheep. And what does he see when he gets there? The Bible says the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the bush. And he looked and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. We spoke last week about how we know God is with us. Not always in the moment from a miracle, but often because when we look back at our lives, we look back at situations, we see how God protected us, how God led us. And after we look at things, we see that God helped us to persevere. But in Moses' life, it seems like every time he's got a question or needs to do something, out pops a miracle, right? Moses sees a sight he's not ever seen before. A bush that seems to be on fire, but it's not being consumed. The Sinai is a little bit like New Mexico or Arizona. And I can tell you from experience, if you're in New Mexico and you see a bush on fire and the wind's blowing, you go the other direction and tell somebody. Because it's going to go from one bush to three bushes to acres and acres and acres in no time flat. And Moses seems to have watched for a while and the fire doesn't move. And the bush doesn't seem to be going anywhere. And when he goes to look closer, and as he approaches... He hears the voice of the Lord talking to him out of the bush, telling him to take off his shoes, for he's on holy ground. And then Moses 
is told that God is calling him to lead his people to freedom. And Moses asks God question after question about what he should do and what he should say. Oh Lord, who should I say sent me? And God tells him, I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent you. Say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Now this is where my book comes in. When I was a teenager, I got this little Bible study devotional book on the book of Acts from youth group. Right? And the title of it comes from something that Moses says. It's kind of a, a paraphrase of something Moses says after this. Right? After God's pronouncement of who he is, with Moses hearing the Lord speaking from the burning bush, Moses then asked the Lord, but what if they say that and they still don't believe? God promises him a miracle, right? We see this in the Ten Commandments, the movie. He throws the staff down, and what happens? Turns into a snake. He picks the staff back up, gets the staff again. But Moses, for Moses, that's not enough. He then says, listen, Lord, you don't understand. I'm not a good public speaker. I'm not the one you want standing in front of Pharaoh. Send someone else. And God tells him, Moses, trust me. I made your mouth. I made your body. I know who you are. You'll be fine. And what does Moses say to that? Lord, really, you need to send someone else. Our psalm says, Give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. God wants us to talk to people about what he's done on our behalf. What he's doing for us now. And in there, we see in that psalm, it says, He sent Moses his servant and Aaron, who he had chosen. When Moses told God the last time, he was not the person for the job. It says God gets frustrated. He gets frustrated with Moses, and he tells him, all right, listen, your brother Aaron can assist you. Aaron's a better public speaker than you are, Moses. But Moses, you're going to have to tell Aaron what to say. I'm not going to talk to Aaron directly. I'm going to talk to you, and you're going to talk to him. Back to the title of the book, right? Here I am, Lord, send Aaron. God's not simply wanting to change the calling on Moses' life to Aaron because Moses doesn't want it. God knows who's God's call, who God is calling. Hold on to that for just a minute. In our gospel we read, From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day to be raised. Now last week we read how Jesus asked his disciples who people thought he was. And if you remember, they said, well, Lord, some of them think you're your cousin John the Baptist, and some think you're Elijah or Jeremiah or one of, other, one of the other prophets of old. But when he asked them, who do you think that I am? Who do you say that I am? Peter makes the same confession about Jesus that we're going to make here in a few minutes with the Nicene Creed. The Christ. He says, You're the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responds with, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. You've heard that from the Father. And it's from this place that Jesus starts trying to tell the disciples about what's going to happen next. And Peter pulls him aside the first chance he gets and says, Listen, Jesus, you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. God forbid that stuff happen to you. Now I can see Peter, who'd just been told by Jesus 
that he's been hearing directly from God. Going to Jesus, wanting to set him straight. Jesus, did you miss the day in Sabbath school when the rabbis explained to us what the Messiah was actually coming to do? Jesus, you have it all wrong. And how does Jesus respond to this? He responds pretty vigorously, right? Get thee behind me, Satan, as they say in the King James. You're a stumbling block, for you're setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Last week, Peter was hearing from God. This week, he's being accused of listening to Satan. We hear Moses arguing with God about what God has called him to do. Moses didn't think he'd be able to do it. But God knew that with his help, Moses could. We know that Jesus has been wrestling about what he's been called to do. He'll continue to wrestle with it all the way through Holy Week, right? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, as he says in the Mount of Olives. And here, Peter's trying to give him the easy way out. Jesus, you don't have to die. We don't have to do this resurrection thing in three days, whatever that is. Better idea. Let's conquer the Romans instead. And Jesus' response is to say no to this as quickly and as forcefully as he possibly can. And it's from this that he tells them, if you want to become my followers, deny yourselves, take up your cross and follow me. The disciples know that he's the Messiah. They say it, but they're still concerned with what? They're still concerned with who gets to sit next to him when he comes in power. But now to follow Jesus, he's saying we have to give up our desire to be in charge, to have that power. What will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? What will they get in return for their life? what you do. Jesus says, the Son of Man is to come with the angels in the glory of his Father, and he'll repay everyone for what they've done. But truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the, before they see the Son of Man coming into his kingdom. Now Jesus is telling them the day will come when he's going to return with the angels at the end of all things, and everything will be set right. Then we get that, what about, then we get that will not taste death stuff. Now I was taught, and I think you can see it in the Gospels, especially Matthew and John, that their focus on the kingdom of God was not in its final form, off in the future, in heaven. No, for then the kingdom of God was ushered in with the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ. And for Matthew, most of those hearing Jesus that day would still be with him on that Easter morning. They'd be with him 40 days later when he went up into heaven. Not everyone, but most. And writing years later, Paul tells the Romans, let your love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now Paul is beginning a section kind of on general observations about how Christians should live. But how we should live with our renewed mind. That renewed mind includes sacrifice. We read about last week. It says we should love and honor each other. We should hate evil, but not just hate evil. Hold on to what is good, and that we should love. And how do we show that we love others? By helping them in need. We help, he says, both fellow Christians, but also strangers too. We bless those who persecute you. That's kind of a revolutionary thought, isn't it? Bless them, don't curse them, Paul says. This can be hard things to actually live out. Rejoicing when someone's rejoicing is easy. Even weeping when someone is weeping. That can be 
It's not easy, we understand it. Paul said to live in harmony, but to do it with humility. And then Paul goes back to what he's been talking about. Live peaceably. Do not repay evil for evil. And Paul repeats himself. Do not take vengeance. Leave the vengeance to God, he says. Instead, bring your enemy food and drink when they're hungry or thirsty. Now Paul here says, they're going to feel guilty and you're going to keep burning coals on their head. But he also says we're not to take any measure of vengeance, any measure of slapping down our persecutors. We're not to use evil to overcome evil. We're supposed to overcome evil with good. Paul here is explaining what he talked about a few verses ago when he told the Romans that they're a living sacrifice and that they had to live with a transformed mind. And that's differently than the way the world does it. God called Moses, God called Jesus, God called Peter, and God calls us to have our mind on him, on things above. But not in a way that's so heavenly minded we're no earthly good as the saying goes. And not to have our minds set on things of the world. Also, we're not to pretend that those things happening aren't real. But we have to not let our minds stay there. Like Moses in the Old Testament story, telling God, I'm not the one. Like Peter in the Gospel, trying to talk Jesus out of the crucifixion and resurrection. Apparently like some of the Romans. Instead, we follow what God wants. That we don't take revenge. That we love everyone. That we are able and worthy to do whatever God is calling us to do. Now the rest of the story is this. Moses listened and followed. And when we see him next week, there'll be plagues and there'll be confrontations and there'll be more miracles. But we know what happens in the end. God's people are delivered. Peter listened and followed and fulfilled what God was calling him to do. On the day of Pentecost, a little over a year later, he's going to preach a sermon and thousands will join the family of God that day. So set your mind on things above. Pray, read and study your, the word of God. And most of all, be open to what God is calling you to do, even if you don't think you're able to.